I want to begin by reading um, a piece from an old Buddhist text called All Things Conditioned. just have to clean my glasses here. All things conditioned are unstable, impermanent, fragile in essence as an unbaked pot. Like something borrowed or a city founded on sand, they last a short while only. They are inevitably destroyed like plaster washed off in the rains like the sandy bank of a river, they are conditioned and their true nature is frail. They are like the flame of a lamp which rises suddenly and as soon goes out. They have no power of endurance like the wind or like foam, unsubstantial, essentially feeble. The sage knows what is true reality and sees all conditioned things as empty and powerless. I want to look into this a little bit together and find out what does that mean? What does it mean that all things are conditioned? And the pointing to a nature that is beyond that, that is unconditioned. When we talk about things being conditioned, it means that whatever is happening right now are conditions that are coming together due to conditions that have happened in the past. Everything that arises in this moment is all based on past events. And in that way, it's actually quite scientific. The temperature in this room that we're feeling right now is dependent on the different factors, contingencies that are occurring here in the room with the fact that there's no ventilation, we only have one door open, we don't really use the air conditioner, you know, there's a lot of people in the room, all that conditions the way this room feels to us. And then each person is going to be affected by that temperature in a different way, depending on the conditioning of your own body. You know, people who have more weight may feel more hot. People who have le- less weight may feel more cool. You know, that will change the condition. That will change the momentary experience based on all these different factors coming together. When food arrives on our table, it arrives on our table due to a whole set of conditions. You know, particularly being here at Woodacre, one of the conditions is that our cooks have never cooked vegetarian food before. You know, so that conditions the kind of food that shows up. You know, the budget, the amount of money that we have. You know, the fact that we are asking for vegetarian food. So there's not the condition of meat or animals uh, uh, that are showing up on our plates. You know, all these condition that, that quality of food. And of course, we could go on and on, uh, depending on what's available in the market, the season determines the kind of vegetables that are going to be available. The quality of the food is dependent on the soil in the fields and the farmers and the weather. We can go on and on, which all comes together to form the condition for this moment, the way that we're experiencing it, depending on how we are in our own bodies. 
the, the amount of health or lack of health is conditioned on a whole set of circumstances that have occurred through our lives. What it points to is that right now things are the way they are because of a whole set of events that have already been set in motion, that have led up to this moment. Things are the way they are. This is called the law of dependent origination. That's a fancy word that's translated out of the Buddhist teachings that points to this law, which is also called codependent arising, meaning everything arises dependently. Everything is dependent on everything else for its existence, that nothing can really exist independently because we are all connected by so many different factors. So this law of dependent origination is, is the, one of the unique teachings of the Buddha. And during the time when the Buddha was doing his practice and deeply reflecting into the nature of things, he saw the whole sequence of events of how one thing determines the next, uh, conditions the next, conditions the next, and he laid down a whole law for us to investigate, to explore, that points to the way to investigate our own minds, our own consciousness, in relationship to the existence of everything in the universe. This is uniquely the Buddha's teaching. But it's one that, uh, you know, you can study uh, and get very philosophical about because it explains everything in the universe. Or you can look at, kind of distill the meaning down into something very um, particular that will make a difference to your own lives and your own understanding right here and now. If we really reflect on this teaching that everything that's happening right in this instant is, is conditioned by what's come before, perhaps you could get a sense of the impersonal nature of that. That in that, in this moment, really nothing can be any different because everything's already been set in motion up until this instant. All that has gone before has already happened and it's all moving with a powerful momentum coming into the configuration of this instant and that's the way it is. Nothing can be different in this instant. Nothing can be done to change it in this instant as it's coming together. This is a very powerful reflection if we really let this go deep into our consciousness. We cannot change we cannot control the circumstances that are arising in this instant. But what we can do is we can respond. We can respond to what is arising. We see what's occurring. We see these conditions that have come together through our awareness, through our mindfulness. And if there's a certain amount of clarity, we can respond with clarity to the circumstances and perhaps create some kind of change 
that's going to be to our benefit or to somebody else's benefit. This response is what's going to condition the next moment, or the next set of circumstances. How it is that we turn towards that moment that we're perceiving. If we did not have a choice to be able to respond to what was happening, and we were just kind of caught in that um, kind of chain of events where there's no choice or no op- option of, of, of what's going to happen, that would be called predeterminism. And it's one of the confusions in religious uh, philosophies that there is something called predeterminism where we, we have no choice about anything and we may as well just uh, fall into our destinies and that's the way it is. You know, there's no, no free will. But the other extreme is thinking that it's all free will and we determine everything and we can control everything and decide everything and it's all up to us and we take all responsibility. And that isn't the way it is either because obviously there's a number of things that are out of our control. If everything that is is arising is dependent on everything else that's arising, then there are also not a lot of factors that are not going to be in my control at all. Mm-hmm. That I have to let go, surrender, and then hopefully be able to respond to the situation with some clarity. One of my teachers is talking about this kind of another, another angle on mindfulness, on how to perceive mindfulness. And he said it was, mindfulness is like when we're sitting on a train backwards, the train's going one direction, and we're sitting with our back going in the direction that the train is going, and we're looking out the window and seeing where we've already been. Rather than sitting forward and looking into the future where we're going, moving forward, rather, it's the other way around. We're looking at where we've already been. It's an interesting trick of the mind, if you can get into it, because we think that it's quite different. And then we get upset, and we get angry, and we get frustrated, and irritated and we judge ourselves and get upset with others. But all that is rather erroneous when you really understand what's going on. All that's already been set in motion. You know? So like for instance when we sit here and we notice that we have a train of thoughts going that we can't stop because something happened at the office last week that was really irritating and I'm sitting here getting frustrated and angry about it and I can't understand why I can't stop my mind. The conditions for that arising have been set in motion for a, with a number of different factors. One of the conditions may be that I don't actually have enough experience in training my mind to stop 
particularly in the face of difficult situations that happen at work. You know, but we come here and we expect through a certain uh, instruction or uh, uh, a few days of, of silent conditions that our minds are just going to stop, even though our whole lives are in turmoil. You know, our, our children are um, taking drugs and uh, our, our elderly parent is uh, dying of a, of a terminal illness and I'm having a lot of difficulty with relationships at work and my partner is talking about a divorce and, you know, <laughs> which happens sometimes. People come on retreat like this. And then they sit down and they say, I can't get quiet. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's true <laughs> not only that then come the judgments the self-condemnation the anger towards oneself the doubt the self-doubt I can't do it right I'm never going to get the practice no. just not seeing things very clearly and so the question really is, if one understands how things are conditioned, how things are set in motion, then the question would be, really, well, that may be the way things are right now, but in this moment, what are you doing that's conditioning future events? How are you being with yourself right now that is actually going to make a huge difference in the future? <laughs> particularly if you're treating yourself with a lot of judgment and self-hatred and uh, a lot of destructive negativity is coming up in the mind and that habit is just repeating itself and repeating itself, what is, what's the future going to be like? Somehow we think that, and I think there's this sort of a, a wishful thinking or a magical thinking that takes place, that somehow even though all these conditions have been set in place in the past, somehow in an instant it can all change. No. But it isn't like that. It isn't like that. And so the practice, the teachings, emphasize again and again the importance of of kindness, of patience, of tenderness, gentleness, um, letting go, noticing how the mind is turning, how the mind is inclining, not buying into the doubt, the negativity, the frustration. And the underlying reason for that is because if I'm practicing metta, loving kindness, compassion, then that's what I'm conditioning for the future arising. It's more likely <laughs> that that's what's going to shape my future, since that's what I really hope for and long for, if I can practice that in the present as a response to the past. And even the last moment is already the past, you know, just this, what happened is those words that I've just been saying the last 10 minutes, they're gone. That's the past. They're, one teacher says, they're back there with Alexander the Great. You know, <laughs> they're gone. So 
how am I turning? How am I turning my mind? How am I turning my heart to this present circumstance? Mindfulness is what receives the moment. We talk about receptivity. Mindfulness receives the moment that's occurring. Mindfulness receives the conditions that are arising. Mindfulness is the pristine state of awareness that's, that's unencumbered. It's, 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 it's pure. It's um, untouched. Awareness is, is it's not burdened with the past conditions. It's pure. We have pure consciousness. So we turn that consciousness, consciousness towards the conditions that are arising and see just what there is. That mindfulness before we start adding on <laughs> all the egoic reactions that then can cloud that consciousness so we're not able to see very clearly at all. This receptivity is like going to a restaurant and receiving a plate of food. That we look at the menu, we read something on the menu, we get some idea of what we're getting. We don't know for sure because it's just words on the page. And then the food lands on our table. We have a certain expectation and then we see what's there. We look at it, we smell it, we have a response. Mm -hmm. It may not be what we expected. (laughs) It may not be what we like. It may be really what we like. We have some kind of response when that lands on our table. There it is. And after the plate arrives, then our responses kick in, and this is really where the trouble potentially starts. It's not before the plate lands on the table, But after the plate lands on the table, we look at, oh, wow, look at that. And then we have a chance for things to start happening within, which are our conditioned responses. It's the way we usually respond to things. You know, and everybody's going to respond to it differently depending on your whole set of circumstances. You know, one person may look at it and, you know, just assume that what's landing on the table is not what we expected. It's not what we want. You know, one person might look at that and just have this smoldering irritation going on. You know, not going to say anything because they were conditioned never to speak up about anything that they were ever bothered about. So there'd just be this smoldering kind of, I don't know, you know, this is just, you know, just smoldering with that underlying, you know, anger and irritation. Another person, depending on their conditioning, may have a, a more of a response of self-righteous anger and, you know, really let the waiter know about it. It's like, you know, I come into this restaurant, you know, five times a month and I expect a certain quality of food and I don't know why I'm not getting it and if I don't get it, you know, just the same plate of food on the table, you know. Or another person might just fall right into a response of self-pity. God, every time I go out to the restaurant, <laughs> you know, I look at the menu and I really try to figure out what I want. And every time, you know, I never get what I want. 
You know, I'm tired of going to restaurants. <laughs> you know, just falling right into that. Another person may just go completely numb, may not have any sense of what their response is, not respond at all, just freeze, don't know what to do. They've had so many um, uh, messages through their life, of so, so many mixed messages and different messages, they don't know how to respond at all. They know something's going on, <laughs> but just think that it's better to be quiet altogether. Another person might just have a completely easygoing attitude. They never complain about anything. They just eat whatever is put down in front of them. Nothing bothers them in their life. Um, everything's fine, which is fine, you know. It's just their way of responding, <laughs> you know. We have these ways of responding to that plate of food. Receiving a plate of food usually isn't that big of a deal, the way we respond to what lands on our table, depending on whether we want to strangle the waiter or not. You know, that might then make a difference. But generally, it doesn't matter that much. But what what lands on your table, and using the plate of food as a metaphor for experience in life, what if what lands on your table is a diagnosis from the doctor? You know, and the doctor says, I'm sorry to tell you, but you have uh, invasive breast cancer. You know? or, um, you know, or a kidney disease or whatever. Yeah. Then our responses matter. Yeah. Then it makes a difference how we proceed in relationship to that particular set of events coming together. There's a friend a few uh, months ago who, a friend of mine who was expecting a baby, and she's living in Northern California in a fairly remote place in in Northern California. And I um, hadn't heard the news about what had actually happened. And and I met another friend who I asked uh, her what was going on, and she told me, Well, actually, she gave me an email that she had just received from this friend who said that um, she, this woman who was going to give birth, she said she was all set for a home birth in this remote place uh, where she was living with a local midwife, and her amniotic sac broke six weeks early, and she had to be helicoptered out to the hospital in time so that uh, she wouldn't die. You know, what about then? You know, if our responses are conditioned <laughs> from the past, what we're accumulating from our past ways of being and practicing and learning and discovering in the world, then when we're met with a circumstance such as that, not knowing at all what's going to land on our table, how do we respond? We're not going to be able to be all that mindful, probably, (laughs) you know, and uh, think about how we want to respond. We're just going to be in it. Something's going to take over, and what takes over is all that's gone before. What we've already developed the qualities of heart, the qualities of mind, the qualities of being in the way that we respond to that. Mm -hmm. 
And if there hasn't been a lot of development, then hopefully there might be enough in that situation that just kind of wakes us up, wakes us up to perhaps a sense of urgency (laughs) about the preciousness of this life and that maybe we better start (laughs) looking at the way we're responding and living our lives. Because if we do, then perhaps we can influence, we can condition the rest of the precious time that we have here, influence the way those conditions unfold for us. Without awareness, without some kind of wakeful attention, We get caught in the habit pattern that has been put in place from the past, and that's what gets acted out. The pattern itself that has been conditioned is what gets acted out. And we, the the habit can have so much force in the mind. The anger, the negativity, the fear, the sorrow, the pity, the shame, the guilt. It can have so much force in the mind that it completely colors consciousness so that we're not able to see anything else. And the pattern itself is what gets acted out. This is um, from an old uh, text, sutta. I think it's a Hindu sutta discourse called sandcastles. Some children were playing beside a river. They made castles of sand and each child defended his castle and said, this one is mine. They kept their castles separate and would not allow any mistakes about which was whose. When the castles were all finished, one child kicked over someone else's castle and completely destroyed it. The owner of the castle flew into a rage, pulled the other child's hair, struck him with a fist, and bawled out, He has spoiled my castle. Come along, all of you, and help me to punish him as he deserves. The others all came to his help. They beat the child with a stick and, <clears throat> and then stamped on him as they lay on the ground, as he lay on the ground. Then they went on playing in their sand castles, each saying, This is mine. No one else may have it. Keep away. Don't touch my castle. But evening came. It was getting dark and they all thought they should be going home. No one now cared what became of his castle. One child stamped on his, another pushed his over with both hands. Then they turned away and went back, each to their home. So in the moment, something becomes so important, so precious, we get so caught up and attached to it, involved in it, and it becomes everything. And in those times, the mind that is not clear, the egoic mind with its strong patterns, take over. And they act out. And without awareness, some way to reflect on what is happening, we get completely involved in that. And it may not be till later, depending on who we are, that we may wake up and say, oh, wow. 
look what I did. Look what, how I acted. Look what I said. And there may be the ability to have some self-reflection and feel some remorse and some shame about what one did and then be able to do it differently next time, at least have the intention to do it differently. But unfortunately for a lot of people, that reflection doesn't go on. There's just the continuity of the habit the continuity of the habit without any sense that there's any way out. That there's just the repetition of the personality as it is and as it always was and that's the way it's always going to be and you may as well just get used to it and you may as well just like it because this is the way it is and there's no possibility of change. It's a rather fatalistic view. But when we come to spiritual practices, meditative practices, the message is there is the possibility of transformation. We can change those difficult and negative and destructive forces that move through our minds. We don't have to be victimized. We don't have to be controlled by our own minds and the conditioned forces that are running through our minds. A retreat with um, one of my favorite teachers, uh, Ajahn Amaro, who's an English monk in the Theravada tradition, who has a a small monastery in Northern California, Abayagiri. Wonderful, joyful, wise monk, middle-aged monk. And when we were talking together, when one of our retreats talking about how transformation happens, he said that transformation happens with fairy dust. He said fairy dust is the answer. If you sprinkle fairy dust into your experience, then something can change. And what is that fairy dust? (laughs) That fairy dust is wisdom. That fairy dust is insight. And that if we're able to take the accumulation of wisdom, depending on how much time and energy and effort we put into our practice, I think we get bigger buckets of fairy dust. (laughs) Maybe at the beginning we only have just a few little grains. But those few little grains are very important. (laughs) Not to diminish that if you have those in your pocket. But if we can take this fairy dust and sprinkle it in to every experience, then perhaps something can be transformed for us. This wisdom how important this accumulation of wisdom is. Because this is, in a way, what we're doing here. Not in a way, this is what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. Through the coming back, paying attention to what's happening, we're conditioning the mindful attention. We're conditioning the mind to wake up, to be here. I mean, how many times have you 
kind of found you're sitting there and your energy just starts to sink, just start to sink. <laughs> and you find your body starting to go soft and bend over <laughs> and you're just sort of falling forward, you know. And yet, because you have the instruction, wake up. <laughs> Bring your attention back. Be present. Wake up. You know, there's the intention, which is the movement of wisdom in that moment, the sprinkling of the fairy dust. Come back. Wake up. And so the intention itself brings about some energy. Even the intention to be present, the intention to turn our attention towards what's happening, it brings energy. And so the body starts to inflate a little bit more, so maybe it was over like this, And then with the intention and the energy comes, then the body starts to move up again. It's almost like a a balloon, you know, the balloon that it loses air. (laughs) It's a nice full balloon, you know, it's floating, and then all of a sudden the air just starts to to leak out, and then the balloon kind of... (laughs) And And then with the wisdom, the intention of wisdom, which is filled with the fairy dust, you know, the, the balloon starts to inflate again. And we feel upright and strong and steady and the clarity's there, the wisdom's there. And then we can respond. We can respond to what's happening. But without the energy, without the awareness, when the mind gets tired, it's more likely to fall into the old habits. And we see this, you know, we can even see this on a rhythm of our retreat. Well, I certainly see it in myself that the times of the day where I'm tired, it's just, even, I can't be that present. I can't be that awake. I can't attend to what's happening very well. I just feel cranky. I feel tired. I feel moody. And that particular habit is taking over. But because there's some uh, understanding, there's some wisdom to know that if I give myself a hard time, if I judge myself, if I put myself down, if I think it should be different, have expectations of myself, begin to doubt my practice, that, <laughs> sound familiar? <laughs> then that's what's being conditioned. That's what I'm setting into motion. And if I'm not able to see, if there isn't enough mindfulness, if there isn't enough clarity, then I will just buy into that and reinforce that condition, which is a sense of myself, how I know myself to be, the image, the identity I have of myself. When I start to believe that whole set of circumstances as who I am, but again, just, just that moment of pulling back, pulling out and saying, oh yeah, that's just the momentary conditions right now. Perhaps if I bring some patience, I bring some gentleness, I just um, wait a little bit, give myself a little time just to go through this, I'll, I'll recharge my energy. You know, it doesn't mean anything about my practice. I don't have to build up a whole story about who I am and how I'm practicing in time and, and what it means for the whole of the year and the rest of my life. <laughs> and it's just 
these conditions right now. And it's going to change. It's going to change. Sometimes these patterns that arise, particularly when we're on retreat, and we find ourselves really falling into a very difficult um, state within ourselves, our minds are very busy, the anger is very strong, the, the uh, patience is very small, um, I, I just want to get out, I have, I'm filled with agitation and um, doubt, we call it a multiple hindrance attack. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everything is getting us in the moment. It's hard to remember. You know, it's hard to call upon these wonderful ideas we have about how we'd like to be responding in the moment. You know, of course, you know, I'd like to respond with gentleness and I'd like to respond with kindness, but I can't find even an ounce of it in this moment. The habit is, is just taking over in that moment. We can feel a real deep sense of hopelessness about our practice. And these are the times that it's so important if we can even find just those few grains of fairy dust, you know, hiding maybe under the mattress or, you know, in the closet somewhere or, you know, in an old shirt that we were wearing last week, you know, just to remember that that all we can do at those times is just to be patient and bring a little bit of compassion to our circumstance because there's not a lot else we can do. And we might not even be able to do that. But I wonder if there can even be some lingering understanding that it will change. If we can just remember that, that this is not going to last the rest of our lives the way it feels. It feels like it's going to be here forever and this is who I am going to be for the rest of my life. I'm going to be flat on my back with no energy, totally self-hating, my, self-hating and not be able to function. And this is it. I'm going to die here. <laughs> but it does change. And sometimes if we have that understanding, and that understanding does go, and that understanding does go pretty deep, then sometimes we can just lie there, let the whole thing go on, and hold it in a wide embrace of awareness. Just see it happening. See ourselves almost like the actors on the stage you know, that Shakespeare talks about. Right now, this is the shape this body and mind is taking in this play, <laughs> in this story. And this character in the story is undoubtedly going to take on another shape and another form and another personality, probably not too long. Can I just kind of wait it out? Because that's the way things unfold. We are living out a story, whether we want to be in this story or not. (laughs) We're in a story. Each of us has our own uh, story, our own creation story, creation story in this life. And it's getting played out. And so 
through the practice, hopefully we can bring that awareness, some wakeful, clear, unobstructed attention to the rising conditions that are being played out and perhaps respond with a way that is truer to our hearts, truer to our values, what's important for us. But this is the practice. This is what we have to practice because the habits are so strong, the habits of mind. So when we we come to retreat, when we practice meditation, when we practice a body of religious teachings, whatever those teachings are, those teachings are hopefully pointing us in a direction that's going to transform our heart and wake us up into the being that we are. The being that we are when, we, when our heart is awakened naturally has all the qualities of love and kindness and compassion and gentleness and peace and calm. But now because we don't experience ourselves as that awake being, then we have to practice the enlightened qualities that will then condition the very waking up into that which we already are. It's a funny little thing. It's not like we're conditioning a new being, but we're practicing the qualities until our consciousness, till our heart cracks open and we become that quite naturally and spontaneously. We become love. We become compassion. We become kindness. We become generosity. We become connection. We become wisdom. And it's not a kind of becoming necessarily in time. It's just a becoming that in one instant everything cracks open and all time collapses and we are that. We are that. That which we've always been, that which we've always known we are but didn't know how to find it, to access it. But we come into our enlightened essence, into our divine essence of who we are. But because we're really not there yet, most of us anyhow, maybe there's a few in here who are, we have to practice. Otherwise, habit takes over. Habits that are harmful, destructive, hurtful, painful, and lead to more suffering. And it seems that for most of us in these human incarnations, unless there is some kind of connection with the spirit, connection with the sacred, connection with some religious uh, momentum, or religious force, we may not know where to turn. We may not know where to look. We just feel caught or trapped or contained in this personality that's giving us so much trouble. And so we have these precious teachings. We have precious um, uh, guides on this earth that are pointing us towards our true self, towards our awakened heart. 
so that we can find the way. Because it's a difficult path. It's a difficult journey for us. So we might ask, as we go through the day, as we go along, what am I conditioning right now? What, how am I responding to this situation? And am, am I responding in a way that I'm going to want the outcome of this behavior? I'm going to want the consequences of this behavior. If I'm responding with fear and with anger and impatience and negativity, it's probably just going to be more of that in the future. Do I want that? But is there a way that I might be able to respond with more love and kindness and gentleness and connection, ease? Do I want that? Is that what I'd like to have more of in the future? And in this way, we can start to influence, we can start to really make a difference in how, in what shapes our reality, in the shape that our reality takes. So let's sit together for a few minutes. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.